I'm Kristen Huffman, and you're listening to the Birth Discussion Podcast. I have Sydney with us today, and she's going to tell us a little bit about natural childbirth in the hospital setting. She is a labor and delivery nurse, and she's got lots of good things to share with us about how she supports moms in natural childbirth. So, Hi, Sydney. Hello. Welcome to the birth discussion. (laughs) Um, So like Kristen said, I'm a labor and delivery nurse. I have been since March of 2020. Um, It's kind of an interesting time to transition from the ICU to uh, the birth side of the thing, but also maybe a big blessing in disguise that I didn't know I needed. So I'm excited to be here today and talk to you about what I love. Awesome. So the first thing I wanted to talk about is what steps moms should take to get ready for a natural childbirth in the hospital? What should they be doing that's going to increase their chances of their wishes happening? Yeah, so I think that um, birth classes are a lost art. Um, And in the new generations especially, they go to maybe like Google and TikTok. If I had a dollar for every time, my patients are like, well, on TikTok. And I'm like, stay off the TikTok. Um, but finding a birth class that supports what your wishes are, um, whether that is just a natural childbirth class. Um, I know I've had friends that have specifically taken like Bradley meth classes, which is, um, husband coach childbirth and different things like that. Um, but you're never going to be able to consume and understand the information, especially when it's your first time, if you're relying on yourself and the internet. Um, I know clear back in the day, my mom took Lamaze and she went natural with my brother and she said, I would have never been able to know what my body was doing if I hadn't been told that in a class. Um, So whether you find um, something in your area or even I know that there are liver and delivery nurses who do them through like online forums or just something to make you understand what's happening in your body, um, I think is the biggest thing that makes you successful. Like I've had moms look at me and be like, I think that I'm transitioning. (laughs) And I'm like, you are. (laughs) And that helps them get through that, that phase of all of a sudden things being so different than they were. Um, and then just having that open conversation with your doctor, um, if you're, if you're going that route, um, you know, where I work doesn't have midwives. So we have physician, um, led care and, um, I think moms kind of come with birth plans and they're like, well, I want to do a bathtub and um, uh, nitrous oxide. And if we don't offer those at our hospital, you're automatically in a deficit of what you brought on your birth plan. Um, so trying to, to ask the doctors, what do you offer to help us get through natural childbirth where you work um, and where you deliver? Because if, if that doesn't align with what you want, the moment you show up to the hospital, you're going to feel defeated before you even get started. So just finding somewhere to deliver that aligns with what your wishes are in your birth plan, I think is the biggest thing to make you successful. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I definitely, with my first baby, experienced that sudden change of plans right when I got there, and that was very discouraging. So I definitely recommend asking all those things ahead of time also. Um, So how often do you see births that end up with no interventions at all? Not that often. Um, I I think that this comes from two places. 
um, people want to go natural and then they come in for an elective induction, 39 weeks, right? And so right off the get-go, we have to put you into labor and that can take a lot of effort and a lot of days and it's hard to continue to go through that much pain for that many days successfully. Um, the most often time we see it be successful is when um, women labor at home and then come through the door at six or more centimeters and that's easier um, and to go without any intervention and not want intervention because you've done most of the work before you showed up. Um, I have had you know, moms who are able to get through an induction process, whether they were there medically, and some do come in for 39-week um, elective term inductions and are able to get through it, but it's usually because they did the work on the forefront, taking birth classes and, and having an alignment to know that I want to do this for the right reasons, not just because, like, I'm scared of an epidural. Usually, if um, you're wanting to go natural just because you're scared of an epidural, doesn't always end up that way. It's usually because the ones I see the most successful with zero intervention um, is because they did the work and they're wanting to do this for like the experience of going natural, not just because they're afraid of one thing or another. So I don't see it often when I work three to four. See, I was a afraid of an epidural. Maybe once a week, you know, somebody will come in and be able to do it, but not, not. Who was afraid of an epidural, <laughs> and that that was enough for me, <laughs> and I um, I actually was induced it, also. Did... <laughs> I feel I'm like sorry. I've only one other time had somebody tell me that being afraid of the epidural was enough, and I I was her labor nurse, and we did it, um, and she was an induction, and and she got through it, but she had also done a lot of work on the forefront of taking classes. Um, and uh, like, you know, her and her husband were very aligned in each other's wishes and, and he was one of the most supportive partners I've ever seen. Like it, it brought tears to my eyes to witness him, um, like giving counter pressure and knowing when she was transitioning and all of that stuff. So I, um, I just think doing the work to understand what's going on in your body is, is enough to help you with not needing interventions. Oh, yeah. I definitely think that's better than the route I went, but <laughs> the fear of the epidural was more than enough for me. I had a horror story in my family of an epidural, and that was plenty for me to be like, uh, no thank you. First plan, what steps can you take to support her? Um, I think sitting down, like getting eye level with them as a nurse and sitting down and not feeling like you're over top of them when you're going over a birth plan and automatically making them feel small is super important. Um, so I always just get a chair and sit down and I'm like, okay, talk to me about this. Talk to me about why you want it. Talk to me about what your hard stops are of, I absolutely don't want this. Um, and I think what I always tell a patient and what I've been training to tell the new girls that I have trained, um, is that I don't ever bring up the word epidural ever when they tell me they don't want one. Because if their mind ever changes and they decide to, they're going to let you know that. Um, so I think as a healthcare provider, the biggest thing to help a mom go natural is to support her wishes and not put that doubt in her mind that she maybe can't do it. Or you think 
well, if she could just get an epidural and relax and whatever, this would go better for her. That That's not what she wants, right? So um, right. I think in... And I think that that's a problem is that even if you might have a glimpse of doubt in your head that, I don't know if this is going to work, don't tell them that or show them that or anything, you know, you just have to be on their playing field and and, and it's their story, not yours. So whether you think it's going to go well or not well, you have to support what they want. And I think because we see so much stuff, we think we know better than they know, but it's like I said, their body and their story. And so getting on the same level of them and just sticking to what they want instead of your opinions. I think you should. I love that. And I love that you're training people coming in to do the same because that's so important. We've, we've got to get away from this idea of telling a mom that we know better than she knows. And I'm at home births in a similar capacity to what you are doing in the hospital. And I'm going as a midwife assistant, so I'm sure we do some of the same things. Absolutely. And it's like, yes, we see things that we know. And we're not offering an epidural at home, but we are able to, like, suggest different positions and things. And even though we know that that might help them labor better, it's still their choice. (laughs) And it's so important that we respect what they want, no matter what the situation is. So I love that you're teaching other people that because... My vaginal hospital delivery did not go that way, <laughs> and I was absolutely against an epidural, and I was asked every 15 minutes, do you want the epidural yet? Do you want the epidural yet? And it's like, um, no, could you just leave me alone? <laughs> so I love, yeah. that, I love that you don't do that. <laughs> I think that those experiences that moms have in hospitals are what, you know, gives gives having a hospital delivery a bad name when you do want a natural birth because when you have things being pushed on you that don't align that's hard to take you know and, and, it, yeah. and it is hard to tolerate and I know um I've even had a co-worker that wanted to go natural with her second after she did it with her first and she was like they just kept asking me when I wanted my epidural and she was like was finally like just stay away from my room <laughs> so yeah. um I, I think that that that's important and the people you have with you as well uh is is important that they remember to align with what your wishes are because I've had moms who I felt were rocking out the whole natural thing and then they got a waiting room full of family and everybody keeps taking turns coming in and you got the mom and the aunt and the well when I had my kids and this should go faster if you just got the epidural and and that's hard to take too so you know you just need to make sure that your whole team that you have with you is aligned with that and including your family Um, because I've seen that that be a reason sometimes people decide to break down and get the epidural and when they maybe didn't want it and and that changed the course of their birth plan so yeah I we had no family really I mean, early, early labor. We had some family in and out, but once things got serious, it was just my husband and I, and we focused. <laughs> I think that probably yeah. helped me make it through that. Um, <clears throat> so on something you said earlier, I didn't think to put this in our questions, but how many births do you see a week? I know you said oh, at least once a uh, week you see something earlier. That made me wonder, how yeah, many do you see? Well, 
In a 12-hour shift, sometimes, you know, you have two babies a shift. So I also do postpartum, so I'm not always a labor nurse. Um, but right now I'm training to labor. So we've had one about once a day. Like yesterday we didn't have one, and that was like, darn it, we didn't do our job for the day. Um, but where we had a really busy week in December where we had 75 births in one week. Um, oh my gosh. So wow. Lot. <laughs> yeah, it's not always wow. easy. Um, this week, knock on wood, has been a little bit of a a break. Um, but it's uh, we do see a lot, a lot. That's amazing. I know. My most in a shift was four in a 16-hour shift, and that was two vaginal and two C-section, and it just kept happening that I delivered and recovered, and then they'd be like, here's another one. <laughs> Um, but that was a really long day. And honestly, I don't know if I ever want to do four deliveries. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot. Again, but, um, yeah. Yeah. If I'm at multiple births in a week, it's amazing, but it feels like a lot, <laughs> which mine aren't down the hall from each other. They're driving a couple hours usually to a different birth, but yes, it still feels crazy um, it is and when you it's something you love so much and you're putting your your whole being into making sure that it's successful for that person in whatever way shape or form that is it's emotionally and mentally exhausting as well so yeah it's a very big um up and down of emotions and hormones and everything when we're in a birthing mother's space so especially when you really care about it that's That's a lot for your body to go through so many times in one day. (laughs) That's crazy. So um, are you seeing a trend of providers being more or less supportive of a mother's wishes? Do you think we're headed a good direction or do you think that's great? I love to hear that. Yeah. I think in the last, I'm going to say, year even, there's been a huge shift And I don't know, that might be cultural stemming from um, just women having more access to to people telling their stories. So I think social media has been really good for that, of encouraging people to be their own advocate. I also think that um, maybe nurses are learning how to do that a little better, too. I think um, maybe that's something good that came out of what COVID did to healthcare is that you as the nurse might be the only person your patient has there to support them and so making sure that they're heard and and advocating for them even more than we already did I think has become pretty prevalent um but I've seen a lot of doctors um even shift maybe the way that that they've practiced just based on what patients are asking for and that's what I always tell my patients too is um you know if they'll ask me do you think they can give me a break from the monitor? And, and of course, at a hospital, everything is policy and procedure driven for a reason. Um, that protects us from a lot as far as doctors, the hospital facility itself, the nurses. And so um, I think that it used to be like, well, our policy says this, uh, but that's to protect us, not not always to protect the patient. So um I've ha- I've said to my patients, I'm not sure if, if they'll let that, but we can always ask. And it's amazing what your provider will let you do when you, you ask um, and give you an order for. So I think that that is, I've seen a big shift in that. 
Um, and I, I think that that's just moms are getting more educated and in, in understanding their rights and stuff like that. So, and I think that that has plays a huge role in, um, moms successfully going natural in a hospital setting. Yeah. I was actually really happy to hear the other day about a mom or a, a provider in our area who I had and who I did not like because my wishes were not respected. And I've heard that that provider has kind of changed path a little bit and maybe is even suggesting some of the things that I was told I absolutely could not do six years ago. So I was like, yes, apparently (laughs) enough people has finally gotten through that this might be an okay thing to do. So I'm kind of seeing that. I Obviously, when I'm in the hospital, I'm seeing some hospital transfers. So that's not always perceived as well as someone who's planned to be in the hospital. So um, I'm not seeing a ton of really positive things yet, but I'm really hoping that it starts trending that way more. (laughs) Yeah, I hope so too. So I I don't know if I put that on our questions either, but I was wondering at your facility, what do you think, how do you think it looks when a mom transfers from a home birth? Are you seeing more of a positive perception towards seeking help when you need it, even if you had planned on not having assistance? I think that the perception around this is that people need to remember it's a transfer to a high level of care. It's as if something happened to my postpartum mom and we're transferring to ICU. That's how I see it in my head, right? It's not, it's not a failed home birth. It's a, we needed to transfer to a high level of care. So it's, it's hard um, because in my experience when I've been there and this has happened, it's always been a, a really bad emergency. <laughs> um, and I think that that causes people to behave differently. Um, and you sometimes see the worst out of, out of people in those situations because they're in, they're in the mode of we have to get this baby out and, and save, you know what I mean? That's what I'm saying, making sense. That yes. it's, um, I've never seen it in a calm setting because when I've seen it, it's been in a, a true emergency. Um, and I do think that there is a lot of trauma that for that mom and, and her team that comes in with her because they probably were not received warmly. And I, and I don't know that it's out of, um, it's, not on purpose. I think it's, it's on, um, that healthcare team that received the patient and coming into the hospital, just trying to do what they can do in that time. Um, so I do know what you're saying. And, um, cause I've maybe witnessed when like people have a bad connotation surrounding that situation. And that's usually when I say like, mm, it's just transferring to a higher level of care or people will make comments. Um, I just wish they would come to a hospital and refuse everything. So then when they have patients who do refuse things, I have to remind them sometimes like, well, you know, we always say we wish they would just come here and refuse things. So I think that that's a shift that still needs work on. And that's just around a lot of us have seen a lot of scary stuff in those situations um, with sometimes bad outcomes. So it's I have seen... um... I have seen calm transfers that were not emergencies that um, were just met with a lot of attitude. And it was 
that was frustrating for me because there were some very minor D cells and mom decided to transfer just to be safe. And, um, she was judged really badly. And I mean, she was using the utmost caution and yeah, baby, baby was born vaginally many hours later. She labored in the hospital for a long time and she just made that choice. And the whole time she was there, she had to be (laughs) dealing with just passive aggressive snarkiness. And it's like, why does it need to be this way? She made a really calm, rational choice for her baby and herself that she thought she did want assistance then. It's like that should be really welcomed openly because it's, I don't know, I'm in favor of home birth, but we need to have the option of the hospital when we need it and we shouldn't have to be afraid to go there. Absolutely. That's really hard. (laughs) And I'm sorry that you've witnessed that experience. Um, I think that this is something I always say is like our trauma is not our fault, but our healing is our responsibility. And I think as healthcare workers, we see a lot of traumatic things and then your next patient's waiting in triage for you and you never have time to process it, let alone heal from it. And so um, I think that that is probably the reason why people behave in that, that sense is maybe they didn't have a calm transfer at one point and they had a bad outcome and now it's changed their whole aura of people who choose to birth at home. But think that as, as anybody who works in the birth space, we have to remember our goals are the same, right? A healthy mom at the end and a healthy baby at the end. And so I think that um, in the hospital setting, that's what we have to kind of remind ourselves is when women are trying at home and decide it's time to transfer to a higher level of care, that that's all it's about is making sure everybody stays healthy. Yeah, it's definitely because <clears throat> after a birth, I usually have a couple days to talk to a peer and um, work through those things. So it's definitely uh, eye-opening for me to see your perspective and know that you don't have that time and you're going right from one situation straight to the next. So that's good for home birth workers to have that information to think about because we don't always see that and we don't realize what you're going through in the hospital. So that's a good thing for me to think on. Um, So, sorry, at your facility, what do you have that women can use to work through a natural birth and what do you offer for pain coping and what resources do you have? Yeah, Um, so (laughs) my best advice in this is to get out of the bed. Um, so you, yes, you're attached to a monitor, but those cords are a lot longer than you think. Um, and the computer they're attached to can also move around the room. So is it a little more inconvenient? Yes. Inconvenient for the person who has to do it, I'm going to say, but is it more, does it go along better with your patient's plan and going to make them more successful? Absolutely. So out of the bed on the birthing ball, if you're in the bed, don't just be sitting there doing purposeful positioning. Um, huge proponent of hands and knees um, and just getting women out off of their back. Um, so positioning, peanut balls, birthing balls. Um, I like to get my patients up to the bathroom a lot. Have them sit on the back of the, the toilet backwards. Great help. Um, as far as pain management goes, um, teaching whoever the person support person is in their room, counter pressure, when to use it, 
where to use it. Um, and that is a technique that doesn't always work for some women. They hate it more depending on baby's positioning. So just kind of feeling that out. Um, uh, I've had a couple of patients bring um, massage guns in. I don't know if you've seen this in your space, but mm. those are the two most successful primips, meaning first-time moms, um, natural deliveries in a hospital setting that I've seen. And their their coping skills were amazing. And using that massage gun during contractions was one of the like best things I've ever seen. Um, I probably would take mine in. However, I'm sure that, uh, you know... <laughs> How department health <laughs> every regulating body would be like absolutely not, um, but I do think that that is something to invest in if you're planning to come for um, a hospital birth. Um, that is really try the technique know. of like a hair tie where people snap it. Not seen it be great. Um, the comb in the palm that they squeeze on, like trying to redirect their brain to a different pain, not always the best. Um, so I think that just getting people out of the bed and moving. Uh, I don't know if you follow or have watched their videos, but the bundle birth nurses, um, and they're, they're saying motion is lotion. <laughs> it's like I walk around yelling on the unit all the time. Getting them up, moving is going to help them with their pain. You know, a lot of times I'll just flip mom from their back to their hands and knees, and they're immediately like, oh, this feels so much better. Um, so moving is, I think, the, the biggest technique in the hospital that can, that can help you. Um, obviously if you don't want an epidural and you are in the beginning stages of labor trying to get through some things, um, you can ask for IV pain medication as well. That's, that's not an epidural. It's very short acting, um, depending on, you know, typically your baby's fetal heart tracing has to look good. They won't give it towards the end stages of labor. Um, just for the fact that if it's too close to when baby's born, research shows respiratory depression and stuff like that. But asking for something like that to tempor temporarily get you through a moment um, and maybe make you more successful in the long run is always an option as well. Yeah, I think movement is the best thing no matter where you are. That's yeah, wonderful at home too. So, um, And then what's your best advice for doulas who are supporting in a hospital setting? What what can they do to make their communication with hospital staff more successful? Yeah. Um, I have only had two patients bring doulas, and they were both super positive experiences for me. Um, and I felt like we were really a team. Um, when I took over care on that patient, I kind of went in, and I just I made that conversation of, like, hey, my goal is the same as your goal. Um, I would like to do X, Y, Z based on what her last dilation was, where I was told that babysitting, and it's always been in agreement. Um, I guess from the doula perspective, if you're coming to a hospital, if your nurse doesn't make that conversation, maybe um, don't be afraid to remind them that you're also on the same team. Um, and I've, I've learned in the beginning of my career when I had a mom going natural, that was, that was something I learned a lot from them is, is movement. It was prior to me really doing a deep dive into the spinning babies and learning the physics of kiddo coming down and where they're at and what needs to change. And, um, and she was like, I would like to try, you know, this, what X, Y, Z. And, um, and I was like, all right, let's do it. I don't care. You know, 
And so that was super helpful of just her letting me know, based on where you say baby's at, can we try this? I'm I'm for it. A lot of times I need extra hands, (laughs) you know, so working together as a team and being that extra set of hands, I think is is important. Um, and I, as a nurse, I think it's, you know, again, we probably need to be more open to that. It's just knowing that you're somebody who has the same goal as we mm-hmm. do. So, yeah, I think it's the, the thing that doulas really want to be is that constant. So a lot of times moms might go past shift change and we just want to be able to be that person that doesn't have to leave at a certain time and that's not necessarily that whoever else is with them is not as helpful or there's any negative idea to it but it's just we're hired by them so we don't have to leave them at any certain time so that's kind of the thing that we like to focus on that moms find comfort in that so and I think having that person kind of makes the transition from one nurse to the next a little bit easier because Yes, you're getting a new person in your space that you're meeting for the first time, but you still have some people with you that you, you've you gotten used to. So I think that helps a lot. Yeah, but, I love that. I love that. And I guess I didn't think about it as you being the, the one thing that doesn't have to change while they're there. Yeah. yeah, that's helpful for a lot of moms, I think. But do you have any tips on... If you were a doula in this situation, how would you navigate a hospital situation where you weren't being perceived well? Like, say you're being very calm and polite, but it's just not a receptive situation. What What are your suggestions on navigating that based on, I don't know, maybe you've seen coworkers that aren't receptive to doulas or something and you kind of know what might de-escalate that situation? Yeah, um... I'm only semi-laughing because I'm just a super, I can be a super confrontational person. (laughs) And I sometimes at work, I'll be like, well, just go tell her like about another, you know, whatever. And somebody once said, yeah, but I'm not confrontational. And I'm like, okay, yeah, most of the universe really isn't. So um, I think that if your patient, if you feel like your patient's progression of labor is being impeded, by their nurse, it's never wrong. You're never wrong to ask to speak to a charge nurse or quietly leave to go find one or in, in try to go up that chain of command of trying to find somebody who can align better with your patient or maybe just so somebody can have a conversation with them. Um, and that can sometimes be done in a way that doesn't have to be confrontational as far as like, hey, like, you know, some, something's wrong. Right. And, and I feel like it's not aligning with what's, what we're trying to do. Um, and I think, uh, that can, that could probably be beneficial. I mean, I've seen that happen where a family member has gotten like come and found a charge nurse and been like, you know, this, something's going on and we're not okay with it. And, um, sometimes that can be hard and, and uncomfortable, but I think that if in the end you feel like it would benefit your patient, it's the right thing to yeah, do. Yeah, because it's it's not even necessarily a matter of that it's a difficult nurse or something. She might just be having a bad day. And yeah, as much as we want to say 
in our line of work, right. we need to leave that at the door. That doesn't always happen. And sometimes personal circumstances go past things. So sometimes it's just not working. And no matter how <laughs> calm or considerate you're being, it's just not a communication. Something's broken in the communication somewhere. So it's important to then because obviously as a doula we don't you'll create a situation that makes our client uncomfortable so we want to do that in the quietest most respectful way possible yeah and even if it's um like you know shift chains coming soon or something like that you could always just try to talk to somebody who makes the assignment um and be like could you try to get us somebody who you think would would align with these values to help my, my, you know, um, like my patient or whatever. And that way that maybe it doesn't have to be, because sometimes, you know, (laughs) just like everywhere else in America, we're so short staffed that it might not be something you can change immediately, but it might be something they can think about when they, they designate the next assignment and give you a next nurse. Um, because I do, I've taken over patient care and, and I walked in and the, the patient maybe has said stuff about a nurse before and in my head, gosh, they're like an amazing nurse. I've learned so much from them. And so maybe they were just having a bad day, like you said, and and that isn't always fair to your patient, but sometimes we're human too. Yeah. (laughs) Um, so I think that whatever, you know, you have to do in a way to to do it is because that's your job, right? That's what they want you there for. And I know that that can be really hard. Um, but I think, and I think for for the majority of doulas that I know, everyone's goal is that this becomes more of a normal conversation and a smooth transition and that everybody is comfortable in the space and that it stops having this awkward, weird, <laughs> why is she here kind of feeling. So I definitely, yeah. we can make awareness for the ways that that should be going if there is a bad situation and how we can clear it up in a, in a happier way. That's, (laughs) I think that's really important. And dads are often in that same situation where they know their wife is uncomfortable and they want to make a change somehow, but they don't know that they can do that or how to do that. So I think that same thing applies to dads and doulas. So yeah. Thank you for on that. Absolutely. It's good to think about that if it is a situation that can't be changed right now, that shift change is coming and it might be able to be changed eventually. So maybe prepare, like talk to the charge nurse about that assignment. That's really good information. Oh, do you have anything else that you wanted to share before we end our conversation? I feel like I talked a lot. I'm pretty good at that. Um, no, other than just, um, for patients that are pregnant women or women who desire to be pregnant or one day will be pregnant, um, that are listening to this, just remember to be your own advocate. Um, and that can be an uncomfortable situation for a lot of people. Um, and sometimes it's hard for nurses to even do that. And that's like one of the first things you learn in nursing school is like, you're going to be a caretaker, an advocate, an advocate and an educator. Um, but as that patient to just from the very beginning, start having those conversations with whoever your provider is, um, like, do you offer these things? And if you, if, and if you're dead set that you want a tub birth in a hospital setting, 
then you better, you know, from the get-go, start calling around and find a provider who, who delivers at a hospital that offers that. Um, because if you get all the way to 39 weeks, 40 weeks, and you show up and, and you think that that's in your head this whole time, you've been preparing for that, you've watched videos on that, and then you show up to the hospital to deliver and that's not something that's offered for you, again, it just spirals you from the get-go. Um, so I just think from the moment you find out that you're pregnant to start looking into what you want your birth to look like and who can provide that for you. Yeah, I definitely didn't realize the first time I was pregnant how quickly I needed to be making plans. So that's a really good point. I appreciate everything you've said today. It's all good information and I'm thankful that you were willing to talk to us. Yeah, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. And I hope that um, in some capacity that in some way somebody can listen to this and it can help maybe bridge a gap between um, people who desire to have doulas at their birth and come to the hospital or people who are at a home birth and need transferred to a hospital and know that um, most of us all just want you to have, um, you know, a healthy delivery with a healthy baby. So, yeah, I think you're you just being me. willing to have a conversation is working towards that. So thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for joining our discussion today. If our experiences have brought value to your journey, please subscribe to be notified of our next episode. Links to any resources we mention can be found in the show notes. And as always, feel free to contact me at kristenhuffmanbirth.com.